chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. He's the only one worthy of actual bragging. The only one that you should ever boast about is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You want to boast, and you should boast about one thing, and one thing only, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Thank God for his such tremendous grace in our lives. Um, Open to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. John began reading in verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, John began reading in verse 8. You got to like a message that starts with the word finally. Amen? Finally, it says. That's the very beginning. Amen? Can't be long from there, can it? Go back to uh, chapter 2, if you would. We'll start in verse 11, chapter 2. I just want you to maybe make some lines in your Bible. This will help you uh, to understand the context of what we're getting ready to look at in chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Go back to chapter uh, 2 and verse 11. And if you want to make a mark, kind of underline, uh, Dearly Beloved. Dearly Beloved begins a section that continues all the way through what we're looking at together this morning. Dearly Beloved. I'm going to read a little bit, then we'll pray. Dearly Beloved. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Father, bless us as we would see together this morning a continuation of what it is that you have for your children. Lord, how the reality of being new allows us to be so changed that people can see it in every level, in every walk of our lives. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing would you open our eyes, please, by your own power, would you open our eyes, would you open the word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Dearly beloved, the idea here is that those that know, we don't have time to go back and, and look at everything up to this point, but if you go back, what you'll realize, this is, this is speaking in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it is speaking to those that are new creatures. It is speaking to those that have been saved, that have been changed. Much has already been said to us concerning this. But now God wants to deal with the joy unspeakable and full of glory in every level of our lives. Starting in verse 13. So we underline dearly beloved. And if you go to verse 13, and you can just underline, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Starting in verse 13, what we recognize here is God is dealing with our lives in our community or in civil society, in civilization. In other words, some of us live in Norfolk, some of us live in Virginia Beach, some of us live in uh, Chesapeake, Suffolk, wherever you live, wherever you're living, God would, is saying to us there, there where you live, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, going on to verse 18. 
just underline this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. This is dealing with our going to work. This is dealing with us wherever we are uh, in our daily lives where we find ourselves under an individual authority. In other words, not just under civil authority, but wherever you personally. So, for example, and I was in the United States Navy. So when you're in the United States Navy, the, the government is your boss, if you will. But still, where I worked, I went to a specific lab. And where in the lab that I went to, I had someone that I had to give an answer to. And so this is dealing with that. Notice it says, servants, be subject to your master's with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. So the idea here is this. You may go to work in a lousy place. Many people do. If, we're, if you're a new creature, then going to work in a lousy place of employment should not keep you from being the child of God that God would have you to be. If you really are a new creature, this is the idea, right? Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're living, first of all, just in the society where you are, but then wherever you go to work, in that place, no matter what it's like, you can walk with God to the glory of God. And here's, and here's the difficulty. Please look up here. This is the difficulty. No one wants to be treated poorly day after day when they go to work. And so we say, well, if, I, if, if, uh, if God loves me, then surely he'll deliver me from a terrible boss. Wouldn't it be better? Listen, we're talking about eternity. Wouldn't it be better if God delivered your terrible boss from themselves? Yes or no? Who? Look, hear me, hear me. Who has a better opportunity to reach your boss than you do where you work? Who, who could possibly show your boss something more wonderful than you could show your boss wherever you work? This is what God is saying to us. What he's saying is this. Don't lose sight of eternity in your day-to-day -day life. Um, I, I very, for very few days in my life, ironically, probably the most difficulty I ever had at work was when I worked for my father when I was a teenager. My parents owned some stores, and I worked for my father. My father was not an unreasonable boss. I was just a lousy employee, that's all. But I was his son, so I thought I should be able to be a lousy employee, and he should still pay me, even though I was doing pretty much nothing. I just seemed, it seemed fair to me. It didn't seem fair to him, and he fired me often, actually. Those, I don't know, those of you that know, um, if any, those of you that remember the Yankees when Billy Martin was the manager, he got fired and rehired a lot of times, and the joke where we lived was I had been fired more times than Billy Martin. That was the joke in the town that I grew up in. But there are very few, there were very few Mondays in my life when I woke up in the morning and dreaded going to the office where I work. But I bet some of you do. I bet some of you really recognize how difficult, and for some of you it is truly difficult to go to the place of work that you go to. And this is what God is saying. And listen, I mean this with all of my heart. In a little while, my child, you'll be home with me. And everything will be wonderful forever. But the person that's, the 
probably the most difficult at your work is in danger of dying and going to hell forever? Do you care more about your immediate comfort and people treating you well or the souls of those that you go to work with? Isn't that, that a good question? And here's, and here's the promise in the, in the reality, as we're in one of the reality epistles, in the reality of having the joy unspeakable and full of glory that we have right in chapter 1, verse 8, right? The joy unspeakable and full of glory that we have. John was teaching in Sunday school, talking about mountaintop experiences and having to live. None of us like to, and I'm going to stop for just a moment. Have you ever had, in your own quiet time, true mountaintop experiences anybody just want to raise your hand and testify to just really yeah amen talking about not wanting to leave right not wanting to come down from there i don't know what you do in your mountaintop experiences but i cry i mean when i when i get to a certain place of joy in my heart i just sit there and weep i remember thinking as a young christian i don't know if i'm going to know anything that's going on in heaven because i'm going to be so excited i'm just going to sit there and cry and then i saw that god said he would wipe away our tears there's a time coming when there'll be no crying even for joy i believe and we'll be able to enter in with all of our heart to the goodness and greatness of heaven with god amen but there are times on earth when the Holy Spirit opens the Word of God to your heart to such a degree that you see the glory of Christ so vividly that it just makes you either want to shout or sing or weep or something. And then you still have to get out of the car and go to work, right? You still have to do the next thing. As John said, you still got to go down into the valley. And then, by the way, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and when they went down into the valley, there was a terribly demon-possessed man that needed to be helped when they got down there. Look at me. Recognize in those wonderful times on a mountaintop with God that this is a temporary time here. This is what eternity is going to be like, praise God. But this is a temporary, wonderful time here. Now, go into the place of difficulty with this glory in your mind, right? Joy unspeakable and full of glory and be not overcome of evil when you go to work. Be not overcome in this difficult situation. Right? That's verse 18. That runs all the way down to verse 25, by the way. Then we get to chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, likewise. Likewise, in the same way that we are supposed to submit ourselves to the ordinance of man in the society in which we live, in the same way that we're supposed to be subject to our masters wherever we go to work, husbands and wives are supposed to be able to live with unsaved loved ones in the most intimate and personal of relationships. What, and I thought about this when I was studying this a couple of weeks ago. What would be worse than having a hard time needing to go to work? And that would be this. For those who have a hard time when they have to go home. Right? Right? I mean, isn't home the one place on the planet where you should be able to go and be completely unmolested by any difficulty at all? Well, that's not what my house has ever been like. And I'm not blaming my wife or my children. I'm just telling you that everyday life with two people, both of whom were saved, by the way, before we had any children, two people who are growing in grace and in the knowledge, and I blame myself primarily for this, it is still difficult in that relationship. But what if one or the other isn't saved? And see, that's what we find in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 and running all the way down to verse 7. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, what we, notice what it says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And I'm not going to say this too much, but I really need you to understand, women are not to be in subjection to men. Wives are to be in subjection to their own husbands. Now notice what it says, that if any obey not the word. So this is a wife with an unsaved husband. 
that they, they, the unsaved husband, also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Amen? So the way a godly woman lives with an ungodly husband can have a tremendous and wonderful, lasting effect upon his life to his own salvation. The same thing in one verse is given to us in verse 7. We're not going to spend time there again this week. It's what we looked at last week. Now, let's go on to verse 8. So we went from society to work to home, and then we reach finally in verse 8. Finally. And I have, this, I have that underlined. Finally. Underlined. It goes with the other things. But then I have this circled. Be ye all. Be ye all. Now look up here. Here's a remarkable thing about what this is saying. This is leaving the individual and it's speaking to the corporate. So here's what it's saying. Now where, listen, hear me, this is really important. Where is the one place on the earth where God could speak to a large group of people and say to them, be ye all of one mind. Where's that place? Anybody know? Church, right? It's not the Moose Club, right? Right? It's not any other, it's not the, uh, you know, this sports team or that sports team. It's not. So where is it? Where can God say, finally, all of you live in your societies. All of you live in your own neighborhoods, in your own cities. We all live in different places. We all go to different work. We all go to different houses. But where do we all assemble? Right here, in one church together. And this is what he says, and when you come together. This is the finally part. Notice what he says. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Have unity. Um, this word here, the being all of one mind has the idea of, of singular um, purpose. It has the idea of being on the same page, if you will. It has the idea of having the same heartbeat, if you will. Now, look, and I know I've said this a lot of times, but if that's going to be true, so let's, let's make this practical, right? If we were playing football, if we were playing football, we would meet in a space, if we're the offense, 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage, right? Any of you remember this, right? 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. What is that little place? We all get together. What is it called? A huddle, right? A huddle. And by the way, that's what we're doing. We're huddling here. That's what God is doing. He's bringing us in one place for one reason. Now, when they get into the huddle, who speaks when they get into the huddle? Anybody remember? Anybody know? The quarterback. Thank you. Somebody, I'm going to walk over here. Or somebody who obviously played football. Okay. The quarterback. And the quarterback's going to do what? He's going to call the play. He's going to call the play, and, and there are going to be how many people? Anybody know on the offense? 11? Thank somebody else playing football over here, okay? Okay, 11 people. Listen, listen, hear me. 11 people are going to be of one mind, right? They're going to ready break. At the end, they're going to go out, and they're going to go to their places. They're not all going to do the same thing, but they're going to function with what? With one mind. Whose mind was it? Probably the coach's, right? The coach gave the play to the quarterback. The quarterback gave the play to the offense. The, the offense is going to execute the play. By the way, on the other side, standing as close to the line of scrimmage as they're allowed, by the way. By the way, the offense doesn't have to be 10 yards back. They're only 10 yards back so that the defense can't hear, can't hear them. So on the other side of the line of scrimmage, there's a defense and there's a linebacker. 
right? And he's running the defense. And so he's looking as the, as the offense comes to the line and starts to spread out on whatever their formation is, the linebacker will call the play for the defense. And the idea is that the defense will now be of one mind also. And we will now defend 11 of us together against whatever the offense is going to do. That's what's going to happen. That's how it works. Play after play after play, working together. That's the idea. So here's what God says. Come together, right? Let's, let's look at it. Finally, be ye all huddled together of one mind. Now, whose mind is this? It is, right? Right? It isn't the pastor's mind. Even if I'm the one that speaks, even if I'm the one that's preaching, it's not my mind. In a very real sense, you could say the pastor is, could be like the quarterback saying, this is what I believe God would have us to do. This is what God would have us to do. But we better have a far better coach than we do quarterback. Amen? You better have whoever's in charge of all this, whoever's actually leading us. We need one really good mind leading us. Yes? Be of one mind. And whose mind is that? Christ's. We together, all with one mind. Now let's see what that looks like a little bit, because he talks about it now. Finally, my brethren, excuse me, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion. So what does that mean? What does it mean to have compassion? What does it mean that each one of us, without exception, would have this mind in us, that we would have compassion? Now, let's stop. Let's just say this was the whole sermon. Let's just say this was the only thing in what we're going to look at together today. Wouldn't it make perfect sense that this would be the one thing that God would say to all of us? Have compassion. Yes? Have compassion. Because the end of the commandment is what? Charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. So doesn't it make perfect sense that God says, listen, listen. I can bless you with joy unspeakable and full of glory in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your household. And when you come together, all of you coming together should together be able to be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory to such a wonderful degree that compassion should be possible on everyone. Amen? So here's what happens. Someone comes in to visit with us. Somebody comes in to be with us. And what what should they see? According to this passage, what should they see? Yeah, they should, they should look, 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 look. Not pretense, right? Does anybody understand the difference? Yes? Look, do you, I, before I was saved, I visited a lot of churches. At one point, when I was in my, I want to say mid-20s, when I was in my mid-20s, when I first came to Hampton Roads, as a matter of fact, I went to a number of churches I don't know why. I don't really know why. I guess I would say God was probably dealing with me on some level. And I went to many churches. But this is what I found. And I'm not trying to be mean when I say this. I went to a lot of churches. And this is what I found. Here's what I found. Phoniness. Phoniness. Right? I found pretense. What I found was that people that were in the building that I was in kind of agreed that this is a good idea. But they didn't have it. They didn't have it. Here's, what, here's what's required for compassion selflessness selflessness see you can't be selfish and compassionate at the same you can't be right do you understand listen i tell you before i was saved i could be a really nice guy so long as you didn't interfere with mine do you understand what i mean when i say that before i was saved i could be a really good person to be around i could be a fun person to be around until you crossed my line 
Do you understand? Until you were no longer, until you were no longer of use to me. And then it's like, I don't want to be around you anymore. But this is not how God is in our hearts. This is the difference between biblical Christianity and American Christianity. And that's this. Biblical Christianity doesn't have any pretense in it. So here's the whole point of what God is finding out in 1 Peter. Do you have the joy unspeakable and full of glory that allows you, when you're assembled together, to have the compassion that God wants there to be in our lives? Having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful and courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. So in other words, this is what it's saying. So when these th- this is so wonderful. Really, truly it is. The Lord Jesus, if you want to see how this works, just go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Lord Jesus is the only person that you will ever see in the Bible or anywhere in the world who no matter how he was treated, blessed those that he was being treated poorly by. Over and over and over and over. It's what causes us to wonder at him. It's what causes us to marvel at him. When we see how poorly they treated him. Boy, I tell you what. My, uh, I don't know that I ever taught math to any of my children. I, I, am a, I, I, I supposedly really understand math very, very well. I, or at least I used to. I could not teach my children math. And my children are smart, right? But I would look at a problem and I would say, what's the answer to this? And they would look at me like I was supposed to tell them, right? I'd be like, well, look at it. Just look at it. This one doesn't even require any work. Look, blah, 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 blah. Do you see that? And they would say, no, I don't see that. And I'd be like, you'll never get it then. This one doesn't even require any writing on the page. You know what I'm saying? I was just, 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 listen, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. I don't contain compassion. In myself. Okay? Apt to teach. That's what the Bible says. Apt to teach. I'm not apt to teach in myself. I'm just not. But Jesus is. Right? That's why that one mind needs to be his. Yes? And here's the really good news. What we're learning here is this. He, he went to heaven so that he could send forth the Holy Ghost to live in us. Amen? Why? So that being apt to teach now can be inside me instead of being told into my ear. It didn't do me any good for God to tell me in my ear how I should behave myself, right? Because how to perform it, I what? I find not, right? I agree with God, this is right. After as soon as I was saved, I agreed with God immediately, this is right, this is what I want. I kind of wanted this already. But how to perform it, according to Romans chapter 7, what? I find not. Praise God. God said, stop trying to do it in your flesh. Stop trying to do it in your own. Listen, I'm telling you, if you're a new creature in here, listen, I mean this with all my heart. If you're a new creature in here, if you're born again, and these things are not the normal part of your life like they're supposed to be, then you're walking after your flesh. It's really that simple. You're still being selfish. If you'll stop being selfish, God can do this in your life, he promises. I, don't, I was going to say, I promise you. But it's better than that. He promises that. Let's keep, we're just going to read. We're just, we're, just, we're, just, we're just getting into this together today. Knowing, so contrawise blessing. So when people are treating you poorly, being able to bless them, literally to be helpful in their life is the idea. Knowing that thereunto, excuse me, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit 
a blessing. And now, look, look up here. Now let's stop. We're almost done. Really, we're almost done. We're going to go eat in just a second. I have a treasure. I have an inheritance. If you're born again, so do you. That's reserved, right? Fadeth not away. Right? Here's the, and I, I don't have time to talk about it again. The good news about your inheritance is this. You can't play with it. Amen? You can't touch it. It's very clear. The Bible says it's very clear. It's reserved in heaven for you. Incorruptible, undefiled. Can't, can't be ruined. And guess what? You can't ruin it. Amen? Right? All of us, there are always things in our lives that you, that you would give your children. You say, well, I can't give this to you yet. You're not what? Mature enough. Just can't handle If I gave this to you now, you'd break, you don't understand the value of it. You don't understand what the worth of it is. So if I gave it to you now, you'd mess it up. And here's what God says. Oh, my child, I have such a tremendous inheritance for you, but you can't touch it yet. But, but, here's the Holy Ghost. This is the, this is the earnest of your inheritance. This, look, and I'll tell you, praise God, amen? Because that's that shouting time that we have. The, the, the best times you've ever had in your life since you've been saved were times when the Holy Spirit was just filling your heart full of joy and gladness. Amen? You know, a couple, a few weeks ago, Kitty was in this room cleaning, right? Kitty James cleans the room that you're sitting in right now. She was over by where uh, Sam Button is right now, roughly, somewhere in that area. And I came through the door just like uh, um, the Yankee fan just did just now. Amen? So, so I walked in, and she was listening to the Victorious Valley Girls, and The Last Blood was the song that was playing, right? And I was coming down the hallway... And she was in here shouting. I could hear her shouting as I was coming down the hallway. And I walked through the door. When I walked through the door, she stopped shouting. Because she saw me as I walked through. And I, walked, I had to put something up here on the platform. And I walked down. And as I was walking down the platform, she actually said this. Preacher, you're getting in the way of my shouting time. <laughs> Amen? Because she didn't want to shout with me in the room. And I understand that. When I'm in my office, you know, every now and then when I'm in my office, well, Kitty, Kitty, actually, she would open the door to my office like, Kitty, can't come in right now. I'm in my office right now. Pat Rug used to come in. Pat, Pastor, are you okay? I'm fine, Pat. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really fine. Now go back out, Pat. It's okay. These are, these are tears of joy right here. I'm not hurt. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, just rejoicing in the goodness of God. Amen? Listen, listen. Why? Why do we have those times? They are the earnest of our inheritance. Do you understand? It's so that you will have some idea of just how great eternity is going to be. And this is life eternal, that you might know God, that they might know thee, Jesus says, and Jesus Christ who now sent. Amen? Eternal life is not about doing this and doing that. Eternal life is about being and knowing God, being with and knowing God. Amen? That's what it's all about. So here's what he says. Look, now I, I say that for a reason. Let's go back and look at it. Knowing now, we're, we're being railed on in verse 9. And we're contrawise. Instead of returning a railing, we are blessing them. Why? Knowing that, that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. You and I, listen, look, look up here. Part of our reward is actually how we respond to the people that are hard in our lives. God wants to give such tremendous victory in our lives for their good. And here's what he says. It's even going to be for your good. This adds to the blessing when you get home. When it's time to go home, when, when the crowns are given out of you, when the reward is given, what's the reward for? For allowing the things that God wanted to accomplish. Listen, I'm telling you, for their benefit. This difficulty is probably not for your benefit. It's probably for their benefit. Because how we respond to this difficulty will help them. Amen? 
If you don't believe that, you don't, I don't know how you were saved, but you know how I was saved? Bob Bornfleth had something in adversity that I did not have in adversity. Bob Bornfleth had a joy that I didn't have, and I saw it. So I went to ask him, how are you like you are? And this was his answer. Jesus makes me like this. Amen? And so here was my question. Can Jesus make me like that? And his answer was so honest. The only way that it will not happen, now that you've asked this question, the only way that it will not happen in your life is if you reject it. Because God is on your side. Isn't that wonderful? God wanted to rescue me. God wanted me. Listen, the difficulty in Bob's life wasn't for Bob, it was for Chuck. That I would see his response in a terrible circumstance, and they would, he would, and, and I would ask him. He didn't come hand me a track or, or 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 say you're going to hell. He didn't do anything. He just lived his life walking with God. I saw the difference, and I said, "How can I have what you have?" And his answer was, "I don't have something. I have someone." And he told me about Jesus. Amen. This is what it's saying to us: knowing that ye are there unto call. We're supposed to receive the railing. It is coming into your life on purpose. Those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, right? Right? In the world you shall have tribulation. But what? What comes right after that? But be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. Amen? I've overcome the world. What he means by this is this, and so you can be an overcomer too. Because the same power that Jesus had, he has given, remember, I, I go and I'm sending the Holy Ghost. It's important for you guys that I leave because if I don't leave, I can't send the Holy Ghost to live in you. And boy, I tell you, the Holy Ghost living in me has changed everything. By the way, understanding that the Holy Ghost lives in me has changed everything. Realizing the power of the Holy Ghost that's living in me is changing everything all the time now. Wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully. Now, every time I fail, every time I, every, I just would say, be a jerk. Some, my wife sometimes says that's hard, for, that's a bad way to say that. I can't think of a better way to say it, honestly. When I'm a jerk, I know I'm me, right? Do you understand? When I, when I behave poorly, I know that's not how the Holy Spirit would have done that. Amen? And so when that happens, I'm convicted by it, and I apologize, I'm sorry, not only to the Lord, but to the person that I'm a jerk to. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it, I shouldn't have done it that way. And, and God is changing me, amen? And praise God for the power of God to change us, amen? Amen? Yes? Boy. So, this is what God is saying, and we've done this morning. I wanted to get all the way down to verse 17, but obviously we're not going to get there. For he that will, this is what it says in verse 10, for he that will love life, and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and, it's, and ensue it. This is, this is the last thing I want to point out. I want to look at two words in verse 11 for just a moment. Eschew and ensue. Two words you probably do not use in your daily life. We are to eschew evil and ensue peace. Now, here's the interesting thing. These two words, these two English words, they are English words. We just don't use them very much anymore. These two English words are far more powerful. You'd say, well, why doesn't it just say such and such? And the answer is because that word is not strong enough. So here's the idea of eschewing evil. Here, literally, this is the idea. You're supposed to dislike evil so much that you put it down and walk away from it. 
That's literally the picture that's given here. We are to eschew evil so much that we put it down and, and not just put it down, put it down and walk away. I don't want that anymore. I don't want that anymore, right? You know, we had a, um, we had a television in our house, uh, an old television in our house. It was a Sony Trinitron CRT, right? Anybody remember those? Anybody still have one? Weighs like 700 pounds, right? Matt and Andrew together almost died taking it out of our house, right? It's back when they tried to make a flat screen TV when they were still CRTs, right? Monstrous thing, right? So you know what? So we didn't want it anymore. So you know where it went? Anybody know where it went? Out to the curb, right? So Andrew, Andrew and Matt carried it out to the curb, got a hernia, put it down, and walked away from it. Why? Don't need that anymore. Don't need that anymore. Listen, have something better than that. By the way, we didn't just buy a t television recently. That thing's been sitting on the floor in a room in our house for three years probably, okay? All right? I mean, really, I'm not joking, but probably three years it's been sitting doing absolutely nothing. Probably still works. If you, it's not there, I don't think, anymore. But anyway, just don't need anymore. Why? Because it's been replaced. Something better than that. Here's what God is saying. The things that used to be important in your life, the things that are no longer valuable in your life, eschew them, put them down, and walk away from them. And this is what it says after that. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And this is the idea, it literally, listen, hear me. This is, it has the idea of prosecute. Prosecute, right? Do you know what, a prosecute, you know what it means to prosecute somebody? What that means, this, this is the idea, it's so remarkable. God wants you not to just be okay with peace, but to pursue it to such a degree that you will not let go till you have it. That's the idea of prosecuting someone. You are guilty. I know you are guilty. We're going to prosecute you and prove your guilt. We're going to collect all the evidence necessary to prove to the judge that this is true and I'm not letting go till he understands that. That's the idea of a prosecutor. Do you understand? And what this is saying is this. God wants you and I not just to be okay with peace. So what are we putting down? And, here, and let's just say it this way. It says evil. And here's really probably how evil comes into your life, selfishness. God wants you to take the selfishness of your life, put it down, and walk away from it. And instead, he wants you to pursue with vigor what? What is it? Just peace. Just peace. Right? So here's the thing. In the society in which you live, pursue what? Peace. In the workplace where you go to work, pursue what? Peace. In the house that you live, pursue what? Peace. In the church where you assemble, pursue what? Peace. Having compassion on each other and wanting nothing more than that we would be able to be seen as a peaceful, loving people. Amen? That's what God wants for us. Now, let me ask you this. Honestly, is this possible? Yes or no? It is, right? So listen, listen. Then how is it that we don't always have it? Anybody want to tell me why? What ruins that? Yeah, thank you, Ronnie. What, what ruins peace at our church or compassion at our church? What ruins it? Anybody know? Selfishness, right? Right? How many of you want to testify to being aware that your selfishness has hurt Tidewater? Anybody want to raise their hand for that? My selfishness has hurt Tidewater. I know mine has. I mean, of course, mine would be the worst because I'm the one that's seen often. And, you know, and, you know we were talking, Mike, Mike and I were talking it is, it is so much easier to not offend if I don't say anything, right? Right? You come and you share with me, and I say, I'll pray for you. Thank you, Pastor. Do you have anything you'd like to say? Nope. Right? Are there things I'd like to say? Yes. Right? So here's what I say. 
you know, I was going to pick on Kenny, but we always pick on Kenny. We'll pick on Jeff. He's got broad shoulders, right? Well, Jeff, I believe that the real problem in your life is blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, well, that's good for you. I'm not going to church here anymore ever again. Okay. God wants us to individually, listen, I'm telling you, you want to you help the next visitor? You want to help your coworker? You want to help your, your, your people that live in your house under your roof? You want to help them? Then take your selfishness, put it down, and walk away from it. And with everything you have, pursue peace. Have compassion on one another. Yes? Find out how that works. I know I say this, too, I've said this a number of times, but it's, it's time to be done right now. Um, I'll be walking down the hall. We have so much going on in our church all the time. So much going on in our church all the time. And I'll be walking down the hall and I'll see something. I'll say, oh yeah, you know, we need to fix that. We need to give some time, money, and attention to that. And the Holy Spirit half the time will say this. How are you doing with love? And I'll say, well, we need some work on that too. He said, maybe you should put the time there. Maybe that's where you should put the energy. Maybe this is not as important as love. I've never seen the Lord Jesus other than by the eye of faith. And he is wonderful to me. I hope he's wonderful to you. If Jesus isn't wonderful to you, there's no way that you can pursue peace. Because you have no real motive to. You ought to see how wonderful Jesus is. I'm telling you, if, if, if going to church for you is still about going to church and trying harder, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. You've got to see Jesus. You, I mean, I'm talking, listen, but you've got to see how wonderful he is. And the only way you can see that, by the way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The only way, I cannot make Jesus look good to you. I can preach a message that might say, ooh, that was nice preaching. That's great. That's great. But if you're, Jesus is going to be wonderful to you as he actually is, you're going to have to spend time with an open Bible all by yourself and, let, and, and have this one, one heart's desire. God, just show me the truth. Here's the good news. The God that made you can talk to you on a level nobody else can talk to you. And if you'll just ask him in humility, God, please show me the truth. He wants to show you the truth. Amen? Now, for those of us that have the truth, for those of us that are new creatures, the only thing hindering us from a deeper and more wonderful walk with God is our own selfishness. Put it down, walk away, pursue peace. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. Now, fathers, we would get up and go down the hall and have some food together. I ask you that you'd bless all of our conversations. I don't know who's going to sit beside who, but Lord, please help us to be a help to each other. Lord, please don't let us sit down selfishly. Please, Lord, cause us to care about each other. Lord, invite each other to sit with each other and talk to each other in a way that would be an encouragement. Father, you only can accomplish this. Bless all of the testimonies, everything that's done. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to be dismissed and go down the hall.